Hello again. My name is Joshua Bell. I'm the minister of the First Christian Church here in Perry, Oklahoma. This is a, a weekly podcast that we're going to create together that I thought would be fun to share with one another. I have a lot of people ask me sometimes, like, what is it that I believe? So for this particular episode, I'm going to talk specifically about uh, how I view God. I'm going to talk shortly about what sin means to me, how I come through that through the lens of my faith as a Christian Church Disciples of Christ minister, and kind of talk a little bit about what I mean by Christology. So I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Earlier this week, I was talking with my son, Quentin, who asked me the most amazing question. He said, Dad, can can you see God? Now, at the moment, I, I think I remember I was, of course, amazed at the scope of his brilliance into theological thought. But then he quickly responded by saying, Dad, I can, and it is beautiful. At first, I thought to myself, why, why would my six-year-old son at the time refer to God as an it? Then it dawned on me, my wife and I never referred to God in any way, shape, or form as a male or female. The concept is held with me as we began shaping our fuse of God when I was in seminary in class. We had these two uh, two authors that we read all the time in, in my constructive theology class, and, and for this particular purpose, I'm going to compare and contrast them and how God is in society. One of those authors was Do- Douglas John Hall, and he uses a system uh, that I would call a modernized understanding of systematic theology, where systematic theology talks about the system which they grew up in. So in his particular context, you get an idea of Catholic faith and that Jesus becomes the center of that faith by his death and on the cross specifically, and that image st- stuck in our brain. And the other one that I used was a, a gentleman by the name of Clark Williamson, who, who uses a system of process theology, which is, uh, in my t- interpretation, a kind of a a disciple's way of saying we're using constructive theology in order to explain who we are. So let me give you an example. The Oxford Dictionary classifies systematic theology as a form of theology in which the aim is to arrange religious truths in a self-consistent whole. Now, the definition is very helpful while having the conversation between these two authors because the Oxford Dictionary also defines process theology as well, for one, it's the, the theological position that God is ever-changing, and also the knowledge of God is changing. Second, that God is not immutable. And third, that Jesus is not God in flesh. And for the last part of it, the Bible is not God's inerrant word. So when we come to this conversation, remember that as a Christian Church Disciples of Christ member, we always talk about no book but the Bible— But for us in the Christian Church, Disciples of Christ, it doesn't have to be the inerrant Word of God. It can be the inspired, the influenced, but inerrant implies that these human beings that are writing this down in their scriptures were somehow superhumans and didn't make any mistakes. So while we have these two conversations between Douglas John Hall and Clark Williamson, uh, they have two movable definitions of God, sin, and faith. Now, to the congregation member sitting in the pews, this might not mean a whole lot. 
But to those of us that studied constructive theology, this is like a form of oil and vinegar. I think the authors I have chosen to compare are very complementary to one another, but they and they definitely disagree on a few things. They certainly have the ability to discuss them in such a way that the humanity sees God or the imago dei in all of God's glory. Now, my son, who was six at the time he told me this, has not been jaded by the culture, the society, or even the institutional understanding of God. And it makes me, and it challenges me to look beyond the scope of what has been historically submitted for pontification and matriculation to a place of wonder as I try to work out the kings of my own understanding of the nature of God. In this podcast, I'm going to be talking about this and contrasting the two authors and their viewpoints. While in the Christian perspective, we base a lot of assumptions on these viewpoints, my hope is that we will be able to have this conversation in the best way we can using these authors that compare some of their beliefs to my own. So let's talk about God. For me, while my six-year-old's perspective of God is a beautiful one to me, it really makes me question what I believe in the nature of God to be. When I first started seminary, the question that haunted me the most was, what is it that I see in God and how do I explain it? Most of our understanding comes from this Augustinian perspective. In this regard, God has been uh, institutionalized in some aspects, watered down, Then it's been brought back to life and eventually comes to a point of relevance for us today. In the classical model of theology, we see God, Christ, and the Holy Spirit in the world of the eternal, while the the rest of us get to see God uh, in the world of the temporal. The world wants us to strive for perfection, but we have sin, and because of this sin, Jesus is given to creation to save us from that sin. Because Jesus saves us from sin, we receive the Holy Spirit that gives the creation grace, faith, and the church to guide us on this journey. Now, obviously, there's a separation between the eternal and the temporal because of sin, but Jesus gives us the opportunity to regain that passage through the institutional church and the classical mode of theology. Now, I'm simplifying the conversation of truly what Augustine is proposing, but my goal here is to show the classical model of theology and and how it gives an opportunity for us in the postmodern, postcolonial world and the foundation that we build on. For example, in this classical mode of theology, John Hall comes directly from this systematic approach. He argues that while the classical model of belief is a good beginning point for the conversation, he challenges us to look deeper. Now, he does not deny the place of power in Christian theology. It makes us rather reinterpret what the power of God must mean if it is contemplated under the aegis of the incarnation and the cross of Christ. Hall comes from a right perspective that the earlier sense of Augustine comes from a place of power. I would argue that he rightly presupposes that those in power hold the proverbial keys to the kingdom by which they hold the power over anyone who desires to come to the Creator outside this model. Now, how challenges this idea by saying that the power comes from belief, but more than belief, a belief in a crucified Jesus, and more importantly, the cross on which he was crucified on. You see, God in Hall's understanding is no longer merely the transcendent force behind 
the ever-changing scene of existence, but an eternal sovereignty reflected in and radiating from the throne of earthly might and authority. While Williamson, on the other hand, has problems with this classical model of God and challenges the readers to view God in a different light. Williamson definitely believes that God is a creator and argues that God's creativity is not simply a once-upon-a-time creation, but an ongoing creativity that calls every moment of the life of the world into being. Now, in this idea, it gives me comfort to imagine a God where I get to choose how I understand my calling. By using Williamson's idea, it implies that God knows our situation and that God is with us and has always been with us. And God's love is offered in ways that are timely and relevant. God's ongoing creation is redemptive. Now, that kind of image of God is something that I want to take with me forever. Now, let's talk a little bit about sin, because if we have to have the conversation about God, we have to have the conversation about sin and where Christ falls in that. Now, as a child, I remember being told that sin was anything that I did wrong. I mean, it made for an interesting existence as a child, thinking that I was definitely always a bad person. The question of theology regarding sin has been an interesting study between these two authors. For example, Clark defines sin as, Sin is our opposition against life, against well-being, against the freedom to love God with all ourselves and our neighbors as ourselves. It's against God's gift to us of abundant life. Now, while Dr. Williamson describes sin this way, he really doesn't describe the nature of the character of sin. Dr. Williamson believes that human beings are sinful, but being sinful is not part of the definition of human beings. Now, while the classical theologians would most definitely view sin in the nature of falling from grace, Dr. Williamson compares the sin found in the Hebrew Bible as the moment when we sin because we vainly assert to our autonomy over and against God. Now, for me, I would find this interesting because the Hebrew word for sin, chata, is not found anywhere near the story of the Garden of Eden. As a matter of fact, it's found later, where we find it in the story of Cain and Abel. Now, the word kata in Hebrew literally means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. So for them, anything that the Hebrew culture understood as sin was any time that they were going against or falling against Torah. So when Cain kills Abel, he is taking the power of creation in his own hands and destroying it thereby missing the mark or sinning. We find it later on in the Hebrew Bible all the way through it. And this understanding of the Christianity goes throughout all of Dr. Williamson's book. Now, Dr. Williamson's view of sin, albeit somewhat classical in his approach, is definitely challenged by Dr. Hall. Dr. Hall quantifies sin as sin as a substance, quantifiable, measurable, Grace as a substance, eatable, drinkable, is preposterous to him. To him, it is about life and living a Christian faith-led life. He argues that the sin is the work of human beings at our core. It does not need to be justified as moral misdemeanors and guilty thoughts, words, and deeds. Sin for him becomes, for the early church as well, as a way of making people behave. 
Dr. Hall has a way of questioning the presupposed thoughts of Hellenistic philosophies of the past and focuses his ideology toward the authenticity of the imagery of the cross. Dr. Hall challenges the readers to rise higher than the human beings or sink lower than the human beings. Now, while I agree with both of these authors, I still find myself questioning, what is sin? If we were to look at what Augustine might call the original sin, or as the origin of our understanding of sin, we would find a very similar framework as as I was taught as a child. In like manner, we have to be responsible for our actions in the name of God. And Dr. Hall urges us to find the true and authentic state of being human, to embrace it and to find strength to carry on in the midst of the cross. So, what is faith then? If I believe that sin is missing the mark, I have to talk about what it is that I believe and how do I live that out. I'm a member of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ, and ever since I can remember, we were founded with a sense of what we call ecumenical synthesis. Now, honestly, this is just a fancy phrase of how we recognize the similar similarities of those that follow Jesus by other denominations and embrace many understandings. Dr. Williamson would define faith as a way of life, walked in time through long series of cultural shifts and the unpredictables, ups and downs of histories. And I really like his definition, and it gives me pause in my own understanding of how to define faith. Dr. Williamson might have a definition I can rally around. Now, Dr. Hall has a perspective that I also find extremely intriguing. Dr. Hall completely doesn't disagree with Dr. Williamson on the matter, Faith to Dr. Hall is something that we trust in God from, from given to us by the divine spirit who struggles with our spirits, causing our our despot, uh, the, despite our own doubt and fearfulness, to say, Abba, Father. He quotes Romans eight fifteen. He believes that faith affirms that God can give life and can give life again and wills to do so. It seems to me that the issue of faith for Dr. Hall is much more than a bunch of words, but rather an example of living a life where faith is not solely based on sight and where hope isn't based on some sort of cosmic finality. Dr. Hall has a way of expressing that faith is not sight, and hope is not a rival at the condition hoped for. He has a tendency to focus on what Martin Luther would believe and explain as faith. I believe that for Dr. Hall, his understanding is comparing Martin Luther's understanding that hope and faith are almost identical. It is focused on something that one might believe toward an understanding of faith and hope in their existential inseparability and point to a future that is, frankly, not yet. Now, both authors have extreme understandings of the word faith, and it's not to be taken lightly in both regards. While Williamson might view faith as a way of life that is lived out, while Hall definitely is struggling to grasp the word faith and separate it from the visible realm of our understanding. I don't disagree with Hall's assessment of the word faith, and yet I still find comfort with Williamson's understanding of the same word. So, as I said at the very beginning of this podcast, that I was going to talk about God, sin, faith, and a little bit of 
an understanding of Christology. Now, this is hard. <laughs> As a Christian Church Disciples of Christ member, I struggle with my own Christology in a way that would baffle most of my professors if I was totally open about my beliefs in Christ. I remember when I started seminary, I wanted to take as many courses as I could about the structure of the biblical canon. My goal, of course, was to focus with the laser-guided aim towards understanding the historical Jesus. It is fascinating to me to imagine the how a few turned into many over the worship and cultural understanding of a simple man. A man who we saw him on the street, we most likely would turn a blind eye toward. A person that was rebellious, a charismatic, a faithful traveler, a healer that shaped centuries of belief into a place of continued unrest. It's very evident that while I struggle with my own Christology, I am not alone in this journey to find the Christ that I chose to follow. Both of these authors struggle and come with different ideas of Christology. For example, Hall has the most uh, this almost obsession with the imagery of the cross. Now, I understand that the cross has been used and, frankly, abused in our culture of institutionalized Christianity, and Hall has given us an alternative viewpoint of a Christology focused in on the cross, while Williamson, on the other hand, takes us through a journey of looking at Christ from many different lenses. Williamson has a strong goal in mind when it comes to Christology. He truly wants to take away the anti-Semitic views of Jesus. In Williamson's writings, you can see a strong, vehement dislike in the ways the classical and the modern theologians have previously viewed Jesus. He presents many different viewpoints from many different angles, and what he does with his writing is intriguing. One example of this might be how he writes that Jesus is always contextualized. It's like Jesus is always contemporized. He is always with his followers and with the hurting of the world. In whatever context they find themselves, that it means to speak of him as in the living risen Jesus. I mean, isn't that so true? How often do we find ourselves in our own congregations using Jesus as the example? Now, the issue I take with this example image of Jesus is there is usually an agenda behind it. The main thought that I take away from Williamson's assessment of postmodern realistic Christology is this. Jesus liberated from the oppressive ideology of anti-Judaism can function as the liberator of all from oppression. Now, Dr. Hull, on the other hand, questions the validity of the past viewpoints of classical and modern thought. Now, he doesn't dismiss the idea of anti-Semitism, but rather acknowledges it through a systematic approach. He struggles with the ideologies of the past and challenges the reader to look through the lens of the 21st century. He dismisses the phrase of human condition if we as a culture are only meaning something eternal and unchanging. He addresses his Christology from seven propositions, and the one that stood out to me the most was the second. It is the thou factor. In this, he argues that it is important of being able to distinguish carefully and perpetually from Jesus Christ and the doctrine concerning Jesus Christ. Now, as a Disciples of Christ minister, I think that the reason this spoke so clearly to me is, is that we have no doctrinal statement about Jesus. We constantly say the phrase, no creed but Christ. 
It gives opportunity to help me as I form my own understanding of Christ. And as a minister, I find myself struggling with these topics. I've grown up in a denomination, and while we might not have doctrinal statements, we definitely come at these topics with embedded theologies that we formed along the way. I don't know if I can safely say that comparing these two authors has helped me or made me more confused. I can say this, however, that these authors bring up some major questions to the institutional church that I agree needs to take place. I'm constantly afraid of telling my own children the wrong answers, and I'm constantly making sure that what I tell them is something I believe. I think it's safer to say that whatever I tell them I have now have a better understanding. So as we continue these conversations together, I I want to challenge you to think about what is it that you think about when you say the phrase, I believe in God? And what does sin look like for you? How do you live out or express your faith in a way that lifts up what we call Christ, our Savior? And then, at the very end of this, you you have to start thinking about what is it that we believe in when we say that we are followers of Christ. Thank you so much for listening to me, and I I hope you guys have a good day. All right, talk to you later.